Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Good day and welcome to Extreme Common Sense with your hosts, Trisden and Ray. We hope to leave some of the social polarization behind and dig into the gray area middle of society and politics. When the far left and the far right hate us, we will have succeeded. Welcome, 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 folks. Trisden and Ray here with Extreme Common Sense. How's it going, Ray? It's going all right, Trisden. Some nice weather. Although, as you say, you're never quite sure when this is going to air, so it could be pouring outside. Right. It's going to be eight inches of snow when people yeah, listen to well, this. Or, or 90 degrees next summer. Could be. Could well, be. hopefully both of our listeners will check this out almost immediately. The Trisden Reynolds snowfall? The eight-inch snowfall? That's, that's oh, what I like to call it. We can't. It's family you, friendly, man. You, you can do that. That's fine. <laughs> Although my wife would say it's a dusting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. oh, so we're going to have some fun. Yeah. Uh, this episode is going to be fun. Free for all. A little bit unique. We have nothing planned, um, which is a little bit by design. We wanted to come in and just have a good time and not uh, burden ourselves with anything. Specific. Right. And what Trisa means by that is because there's probably listeners going, nothing's planned. The thing always sounds like there's nothing planned, which <laughs> we do. So so just by way of giving you, bring, inviting you into the fold, we typically call one another the night or two nights before, and we chat a little bit about what the episode is and what we can talk about. We don't really script a whole lot, but we have an idea. Today, we just walked in here, and it was my suggestion, Trisa had texted me about what you know topic do you want to cover and i said what if we just go in free-flowing ideas and do you know a half an hour 40 minutes of the two of us having fun with stuff because there's a lot of stuff out there so that's what we're doing i like it so you start what's the first stuff oh man what's going on in the world i have no idea well, again we don't know when this is going to air but yeah. well i mean uh, i guess you you just had a birthday so you are you want to say your age Six one man, sixty one. Born in nineteen sixty, a nineteen sixty model. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, it's getting old, brother. And I'm starting to have health problems, and I'm slow. Although I've been walking a lot, which is cool. Yeah, well, and and um, if it's safe to say, you've you've not been having your alcoholic beverages. No, I did stop drinking. I got a couple little medical issues, and uh, uh, so I said, well, AFib. I, I mean, I don't mind to say I was diagnosed with AFib a couple years back, and it sort of progressed a bit. And I noticed that the episodes were kind of related to alcohol. And I learned this, um, you know, years back, 100 years back. I don't know that AFib was ever was even yet a thing in the world of medicine. But people would go to an MD with what they called the medical world holiday heart because people would drink more at the holidays. No kidding. Really? And it was a, an irregularity. It was an arrhythmic heart rhythm that they would the, – the vernacular became holiday heart. Interesting. Yeah, alcohol is fun, but not, not the best. And I, you know, I'm not one of those people, Trizen, that's given it up and like, hey, look at me. I gave, I hate it. I was one of the few things I was good at. I was pretty <laughs> talented when it came to drinking and I could hold my own. And I really do miss it, but it's been probably six months. Well, it's kind of one of the nice things. I'm uh, 41, so I've got me by a few years. But uh, it, as you see the numbers increase, you do at the very least start to take care of yourself a little bit. Or I think mindful folks do. I mean, I've right. dropped some weight here in the last while and have slowed down on my alcoholic beverages that like you, I just think um, to, to, to be completely mean and stereotypical, it's probably a little bit in my Irish DNA. I just re- <laughs> Like you, I really enjoy a, a good beer and now it's uh, 
There is nothing uh, mean <laughs> or stereotypical. I've been to Ireland, and my lineage is Irish. Um, a, a quick, funny little story. A couple years back, our daughter bought us all Ancestry for one Christmas, maybe four years ago. And, you know, all my life I was told I was Irish and English, Irish and English. And most people who have the Ancestry done, they find out they've got Serbian blood or Jewish blood or South American blood or a lot of Native American blood here in the, where we live. Not mine, man. Mine came back 76% Irish, 24% English. Nice. Exactly what I've been told. No <laughs> variants, no, no, you know, no little uh, bits of this or that, which was funny. Uh, now, Patty's, my wife's came back a little bit different. She, there were some things that she found, but as most people do. But no, I've been to Ireland, and it, you can't insult those folks. In fact, my brother and I took a trip in uh, 2003, which was. Um, uh, our sister had passed away. She was married to a guy whose family had a house in Ireland. She loved it there, so her wish was to have her ashes spread. So Tommy and I went representing the family, and uh, we were about, well, it was a 10-day trip, and we were maybe on the fifth day at yet another pub, and just the two of us sitting, and he said to me, you know, when you take away the romance, it's really just a country of drunks. <laughs> Which I love them, and they're they're great. And I and I'll say this in in defense of the Irish, um, you know, I've met lazy Irishmen, I've met sloppy Irishmen, I've met drunken Irishmen, very few stupid Irishmen. They're a pretty bright people. That's fair. And you find that when you're when you're over there. Nice. You know. In fact, I, I'm sorry to dominate, but we're doing free flow. True story. So we're in Ireland, and we're at. We spent two nights in Donegal, so I, we went to the same pub, and this fella, Eddie, I, I still remember him, and he owned like a clothing store in Cork, I think, and he was there on holiday because, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it was Galway, not Donegal, and that's a vacation spot for the Irish, so he was there on, on holiday, and I think back then, not only drinking, Tris, and I was smoking a little bit, so I bummed a cigarette, which I did do. I didn't buy, I, I generally didn't buy cigarettes, so I was good at bumming, and um, so it's the second night, and we had talked quite a bit. And I'm smoking a cigarette with this guy, Eddie, and he says this to me, which was talk about a left-handed compliment. He says, you know, for an American, you've got quite a bit of knowledge, right? For an American, you have quite a bit of knowledge, which tells you that a lot of times the Europeans look at us as just like cowboys. That's funny. You know, for an American, you got quite a bit of knowledge. You have to wonder how we're perceived, and I guess well, that I think kind that of answers, answers the, the question. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of countries do look at us as sort of the cowboy kind of hillbilly. Oh, I mean, I there's a so. lot of stereotypes here. I think so. Yeah, and fat. You know, my wife Patty taught ESL for maybe accurate ever. there. Well, and she taught English as a second language, so she had kids from all over the world. Walking into her classroom was like walking into a mini UN. It was very cool. But that stereotype existed. The Americans are the fat people. Yeah. Well, again, there's uh, sadly with with stereotypes, often there's some truth or certainly a segment of truth in stereotypes. And yeah, America should do a lot better with our uh, consumption. Well, and if you watch watch Andy Griffith, I literally am right now. A because it's a great show, and B look at the body types. The heavy guys stood out. They were all thin. Andy and right. Barney and Floyd the Barber. And, and I remember that as a, as a kid, having been born in 60, dad's friends all throughout the 60s and 70s. None of them. One or two might have been heavy. But they were all slender people. And that did change, you know, with supersizing and corn sweetener and really somewhere in the 80s. I mean, we just started yeah. to be gluttonous and we got enormous. Yeah. It's not good. Um, yeah, if there's anything I think that America – should work on 
it's definitely that. But it seems like uh, you know every few years, uh, you know, we'll have a first lady or somebody will try to make it an issue. And oh, Michelle got in the, Michelle, got, got beat. She to got death a hammered. I mean, it, yeah, she ain't, did. ain't nobody gonna knock the hamburger out of my hand, Michelle. You know, people exactly. didn't like. Yeah, people yeah. don't like. I mean, you like the freedom to eat what you want, but man, it's and it's tough for poor people. I think that's a point that's been made. If you're poor. You know, you're going to go get a $1 cheeseburger or an $8 salad, right? It's, it's a whole lot easier to eat crummy. Poor, yes. Well, another way to put it is it's very expensive to eat good. Yeah. I mean, as provable by Whole Foods. You yeah. Know? Come on now. That's, yeah. Whole, yeah. whole paycheck is what it should be called. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, at 40, I've tried to eat a little better. And I mean, yeah, it's it's harder to do. I've got some vegan family and they're able to accomplish that. But uh, man, just even trying to eat pretty good—it's—it's—it's it's, it's more expensive and it's harder to do. Yeah, and you got and right, and it takes discipline. You got to stay with it. Like I've—I've I've been doing well. I've dropped. I'm not as well as you. Trizen lost how much weight? Fifty. Fifty, and I'm—I'm I'm down about twenty. But my birthday was this past weekend. You get off track. Patty and I made a nice meal at home, which was crab legs and steak, not mm, cheap. Nice. But you go back, man. It's so good that you're gonna, you're going to limit it, and you know it, it was bad. Then there was some cake there, and you know it wasn't wasn't a great weekend. So then you just got to get back on the horse and you know try and you know rein it back in. But uh, man, it's 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 easy to eat uh, crummy, and it's really difficult to eat good. Right. Well, I grew up poor, so which I may have mentioned. Like growing up poor, I think you always want to eat everything. Right. In that, you know, it's you didn't always have food, so now it's man, I've got to eat every bit of this. Well, I'll tell you something funny about that. Not necessarily poor. Well, we certainly weren't rich, but we weren't dirt poor, five kids and you know, on a modest income. But my brother will tell you that the worst advice that our parents gave us, probably more specifically our mom gave us, was finish everything on your plate. Because you don't necessarily have to finish everything on your plate. Right. You wind up getting, you know, that's not the best advice. Or if pro- there's a little something left, good. Throw it out. Give it to the dog, whatever. And in those days, though, it was probably like some barbecue chicken and green beans and corn and things that you could probably safely finish your plate. True. Now it's, you know, pizza and cookies and chips and eat every bit of it. Right. You know? yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the food choices have, um, well, it's fast food, man. I mean, it just became so prevalent. I always... Look at our fair town of Richmond, Kentucky in the bypass. If you start down at Galaxy or Richmond Center and drive to Kroger, how many fast food places? In fact, I, I often thought it would have been a great radio stunt to have somebody eat one item from every fast food place along that stretch. There's, I mean, I'm going to say 50, but there's solidly 35. Right. There's 35 fast food places from Meyer to Kroger. And they're making money. Like, there's not, uh, you know, they're not putting each other out of business. I mean, they're just continuing to Well, I mean, being expand. a college town helps. You got 16,000 undergraduate students, and that helps. But True. But, but even places that aren't, I mean, yeah, you're going to have 10, 12, you it's know. It's unbelievable. Right. And none of it good. I mean, what's the healthiest thing you could get out of there? I guess a salad. Yeah, and the salads usually are not that great. And, again, overpriced. You're paying eight, nine bucks for a salad when you can get a massive burger and fries for 750 or whatever right it's tough it's hard to do man so uh, those folks that are trying to drop some pounds it can be done it's not easy but good luck it is not America. easy man I, I go back a year when i was 
you know, fighting these little health battles and thinking about giving up drinking and realizing I had to lose some weight. And if somebody would have told me a year ago that you'll, it'll be easier to give up drinking than it will be to lose weight, I'd have thought, oh, that's ridiculous. I could never not drink. And I've actually found that, not that it's been easy by any means, and I still get a an inkling and I'll have, you know, I'll have a um, the uh, non-alcoholics, which are, you know, they're a substitute, but a poor substitute. But at least you can feel like one of the guys with a Heineken double zero. Right. Heineken's not paying us, but that's a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> Maybe, but, hey, you know what? I'll reach out this week. Maybe we can get some Heineken money behind, please. behind the podcast. That would be cool. But uh, yeah, weight loss is a tough one, man. All right. So what else is going on in this free flow of ideas? Well, we're, we're talking about sort of our lives a little bit. What about uh, what has changed? Like What pops in your mind when you think of change since you were a kid like what what's the most noticeable advancements and like what do you think like man from the 60s and 70s when you grow up like what do you That's notice cool most about uh, safety honestly safety tristan i would put at the top of the list because gosh when we were kids i mean the prime example is 10 kids in the back of a mercury wagon looking at where you came from wrestling with each other no thought given to a seatbelt, no car seats dashboard we made kids. of steel dashboard like, made man of you're just steel. immediately gonna die when you <laughs> Yeah, no seatbelt and steel dashboard like that is some engineering. It's not really anything I've thought about, but now that you ask and it pops into my head, definitely safety helmets for everything, right? We didn't have helmets. I mean, golly, you went out and you played. I mean, safety. I would think safety has changed more than anything else. Interesting, and probably or the emphasis on safety, I guess. For the better with that, I would say. I think so. I mean, it wasn't particularly safe when we were cruising down the road and the kids were all shoved (laughs) into the car and there wasn't a thought one given to a seatbelt, a car seat, anything. Wow. Well, and, uh, you know, when I moved from California to Virginia, it was, uh, man, you went everywhere in the back of a truck. You know, as a kid, open, if it's open air, yeah, open air, just back jump in, just, right? Oh, we're going to the store, <laughs> man! One little accident, you've just got kids, body out. parts all over the road, yep. man. See, so, yeah, luckily we never had that happen, but what a dangerous thing that everybody and probably still do in rural communities. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. Yeah, and I can remember seatbelts. You know, there were. Um, when they became mandatory and there was some opposition, you know, folks saying, well, I'm going to get stuck in the car. And it's going to burn me to death. And I mean, it's, it's another one of those things that's scientifically provable that you are, I don't know how many times, but multiple times more safe with your seatbelt harnessed than you are with it. Not. And I, yes. and I can speak to that. I, the only time I've ever been in a vehicle that the wheels were off the ground was in Fairmont, West Virginia on a trip back to New Jersey in 1993. And I hydroplaned, went into the median and the car wound up on a driver's side and God was I fortunate, but that seatbelt grabbed my shoulder, grabbed my belly and I didn't move, wow. you know? Well, uh, now without that seatbelt on, I'm probably seriously injured, if not killed, in that accident. Amazing. And my wife uh, credits a seatbelt with saving her life. You know, it's a uh, similar story. Uh, hydroplaned into a tree. Um, the the force of the impact, uh, actually, the force of the impact from the seatbelt broke her collarbone. Oh no how way! Hard that she hit. Wow. And she said, like. I would have went right through the windshield. There you go. And I would be on the tree dead, like right. unquestionably. So, yeah. Now you think after how many years of marriage, she's often thought, damn, I should have put that seatbelt on. <laughs> oh, there's not a day that goes by that she thinks. <laughs> if only I had not worn that damn seatbelt. Damn you, seatbelt. <laughs> oh, so how many years marriage. are you married? Oh, gosh. Oh, you put me on the spot. Oh, eight. So what's that? 14 years 14. Married? Yeah. About 13. Yeah. Eight and three is 11. Yeah. There you go. 13 years. The lucky 13. 
That's it. So we've been together 15 and married 13. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's why. And you, you've got a, a, quite the marriage under your belt. 33. Nice. 33. Trizen, you know what my dad would say? 33 years. And it only seems like yesterday. And what a miserable day yesterday was. <laughs> I love you, honey. Uh, your dad a funny guy? My dad was definitely a funny guy. He was not a handyman. He was not really a political person, oddly enough. My love of politics came from mom. Um, we had a neighbor, Mr. Zangara, who's the, who was the handiest man there was, owned a body shop in New Jersey. He was always at our house fixing something for dad. But my old man could tell a joke, Trisden, better than anybody I knew other than professional comedians. Wow. God, he was a great joke teller. He just had that, high, that Irish knack and just knew more jokes. And I can remember uh, Christmas Eve's, real good memories of Christmas Eve's. Him and Mr. Quigley, his Irish buddy, would sort of lead. And, you know, you'd just be at a table and everybody, you know, open food and drink and, and, and it was just a good time and they'd start telling jokes and of course the drunker they got uh the dirtier the jokes got and you know you're like a 10 year old kid and you never thought this would come out of your like you know your dad my dad didn't do that he was a good catholic man didn't even swear in front of us but some of the and he would he would temper him some but as you got older like by the time you were in high school god the jokes were (laughs) were crazy and and he would tell one and it would remind mr quigley of one and mr quigley would tell one that would remind my dad and other people would tell him too but primarily the two of them and the men knew more jokes than you know than anything it was crazy it was fun. That's awesome. What a cool memory. Yeah, great memory. Yeah, yeah, a great memory. Yep. So let's see. I guess I could have put a segue together, but since we didn't know what we were talking about, yeah, we're just free flow. Tough to segue, but um, let's see. I've got a question here written down that I just wrote uh, as we were talking. A Facebook question? Somebody no, asking no, something? no Facebook oh. question for just uh, just Trisden jotting stuff down as, as we're chatting. Um, would you change about politics right now? Like, what is the worst part in your mind about what, what our you, politics? About American present politics day? I right think now, I think present. the lack of trust, Tristan. I think that you know, and you and I speak to this because you've got your California roots. I've got my New Jersey roots. We go back and we visit, and there's just such mistrust and distrust from the coasts to the middle of the country and back out. It's both sides. You know, people here who we've all become friendly with, um, our, our friend Aaron, who did our show uh, Last week. a time or two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we chatted with a um, wonderful guy. His politics are a bit to the right of ours, but if your neighbors, I, I always do that neighbor test. You know, would, would he, Aaron passes the neighbor test 100%. You'd love oh. To completely. live next to him, right? Yeah. Just a good dude. Um, though our politics might differ a little bit, but that lack of trust that you get—it's it, like those two parts of the country don't know each other anymore. I guess I don't want to say if they ever did, but it's just a lot of mistrust and distrust from the middle part of America to the coasts, and from the coasts back to the middle part of America. Well, and I think we're. You're doing something there that I think happens a lot when the media tries to segment people like the South versus the, the coastal elites, et cetera. But I think, you know, we're in Kentucky. I mean, it's a pretty solidly red state. I mean, right. we're, we're probably not Florida, but we're, you know, we're, we're a red state. But it's still, what, 57, 43. It's not like there's just a ridiculous yeah, maybe amount a little, of— maybe a little more one side. I think it was like 63, 37, Trump. Okay. In 2000. But still, like, of 10 people, you're still going to have a handful that happen yeah. to be, you know, yeah. different. Well, in the cities. Than... I mean, Louisville, Lexington are blue. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's – we're divided, but we're divided everywhere. I don't think – I think it's unfair to put the states really against each other because there's so many – you know, there's a lot of – there's millions of Republicans in California. Yeah. No, I, and you're right. So, take the states out, but just the um, – 
you know, what is so speaking on behalf of conservatives right now, they're going to point to, you know, the New York liberal and the Hollywood liberal. Right. And this might have been a good question for Aaron. So what is that perception when that charge is made by somebody in Berea, Kentucky or Knoxville, Tennessee or Galveston, Texas, and they say, you know, man, that New York liberal, that Hollywood liberal, what are they saying? What is it that that they're trying to, um, you know, portray? Well, to me, I think that is propaganda. And the reason they do that is because it's easy if you're in St. Louis to look at somebody in Hollywood that's sort of this distant, off, you know, person from a faraway land that's this super far, uh, deep left liberal. When, you know, again, it's if you say just Democrat, Republican, left, right, it's it's humanizing. But if you say, oh, New York, because everybody like New York has a stereotype, like San Francisco has a stereotype. So right. you're almost putting, you know, you're, you're visualizing this, um, you know, this coastal elite person when you say that. So to me, it's it's just propaganda, right, to, to do that. But propaganda. you're not saying you don't think that divide exists. No, certainly it exists. I just think it's usually unfair because I think there's enough Democrats and Republicans in every county in America. Well, most to, you know, probably get together and have a good conversation. Of okay. course, there's, uh, you know, more in rural areas. And then by that same areas. token, I suppose some of those um, creations on the coasts of the ignorant middle American exactly. person is unfair as well. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. And again, that's something they do is, you know, they, they think of somebody, you know, with no teeth and a mullet, uh, you know, that's all oh, these idiots or these morons, which again is completely unfair. Yeah. So how then does that get combated? Because it only seems to be getting worse rather than better. Man, I don't know. And again, I think that's kind of the point of the show is to sort of get in here as folks with, um, coastal life experience who now live in Kentucky and be able to say, look, everything you're seeing on social media is not exactly accurate. All right. So then looking at it another way, not in an effort to answer that question or to make it better, but in a, in a, in a, not, well, I'm not all in an effort to divide either. But here's my question. Let me just ask it rather than try and explain it. You said it was propaganda, media, um, Invention, but earlier you said every stereotype has some truth in it. So, what is the truth in the middle American person stereotyping the Hollywood uh, limousine liberal or the New York liberal? And what is it in the Hollywood folks and the New York folks pointing here and saying ignorance? What, what, how much truth is there to either of those? Oh man, well, it's a, it's a good question. Well, I mean, there's going to be some truth, right? But I think. I don't know. I think there's, again, if you listen to our last episode, I think there's more truth in that people who want to work together and find common ground, I don't think the letters of your political party matter as much as the type of person you are. So, I mean, of course, you've got people that are educated in a certain way or they all their information is in a bubble, which now the argument could be made that most information for most folks, especially political, is in a bubble because now we get... 24-7, the news we want to hear as opposed to, you know, unbiased factual news. So, right. yes, there's some fairness in, you know, there's some uneducated, dumb people in Kentucky that vote a certain way based on things that aren't true. Just, you know, like the the elites 
left coast folks that think of us as flyover states right. probably you know they're in a, in the same bubble just sort of on a you know well that's true in a different spot that's i've often said that about new york about manhattanites specifically um they are amongst the most provincial people for all their worldliness it's a great paradox because for them there is new york city and nothing else i mean even where i grew up you know west of the Hudson River was the back country, for God's sakes. What are you going out there for? I mean, they're really a provincial people, so it's a bit of a paradox. Right. They think of themselves as the most worldly, but they're just in that cocoon and never really get out of it. No, that's it. Uh, you know, uh, when I go back to California and, uh, you know, luckily, I guess my family has known me for, for my whole life. But Yeah, it know, usually you, works that way. You'll yes. go into a, a grocery store or, you know, somebody will hear my accent or – you know, well, oh, where are you from or whatever? And you're just like, oh, my gosh. And just the stereotypes. Of Kentucky. Popping out of people's mouths. Right. Oh, you know, your parents are your cousins and you're <laughs> stupid. And, you know, and you must have voted for this way or whatever. Same it's- thing happens in Jersey. And that's really not on the Kentucky. And that's on them. That's, kind of, I guess, the kind of the point of the cocoon. They got to stop doing that. Yes, and it's it's all with education, though. And again, it's all about both parties propagandizing how evil and bad the other guys are. I think once we, hopefully, we'll reach a point someday where we start to humanize each other again and realize that it is America first and not uh, the D or the R first. Boy, and that is so true. I mean, I um, know people who that D is it. They see that D and... Yeah. They're done. There's people right now that are ready to fight because of those letters. Like, literally in our country that we share and both love, that would just as soon as have a a fight, you know, than sit and and try to find middle ground. And Mr. Trump has certainly exasperated that. Is that that the right word? Exasperated? No. Is that what you did last night before bed? (laughs) Exasperated. Oh, no, that's, that's another a, word. That's a different word. Exasperation is when you're at the end. Exacerbated. Exacerbated. I yeah. know I had the wrong word. <laughs> Mr. Trump has exacerbated that, and some have gotten exasperated with his approach. But I suppose you could go back and say that the election of Barack Obama, you know, looking the way Barack Obama did, certainly, um, how do you say this in a politically correct way? There were some people who didn't like that. That was a thing that, you know, you can't get around race in this country, right? There were some people in this country that didn't like the fact that Barack Obama were a black man. How's that? Yeah. No, and I think that goes to the old stereotype. And what America has been able to do is tell poor white people for a very long time, you know, you've got it, you've got it good because look over here at the black man. You're not that. And it's it's a horrible, cruel, false stereotype. But that's what has been done for generations no, in this country. So when you awaken these people from, you know, when you have a black president, all these poor white people that have been able to say, oh, well, I'm doing real good, you know, and maybe they're not doing so good. And then they see a black president. They have to come to terms with the fact that, man, what have I done? That's you know, and I think that I think people like living in that. People like being able to put so, somebody below themselves. Do you think that Trump appealed to some of that resentment? Oh, there's no doubt he appealed to it. I think the the debate is whether or not he intentionally appealed to it, or maybe just fell into it. That's I think that's a wonderful question because I don't think that Donald Trump's inherently racist. The media tried to uh, portray him as such, but he certainly is talented at. 
knowing what works, marketing what works, branding what works, and that appeal worked. He okay. If Donald Trump and and again, I'm like you. I feel like he's obviously he's worked with with black folks and folks of different uh, ethnic heritages. You know, his whole uh, career. Yeah, I mean, he's got you're, a you're son-in-law from Manhattan, who's Jewish. Yeah, right, I mean, right. you know, I, I think you know. Donald Trump cares about one color, and that's green. <laughs> but he also cares about his ego and getting elected. And I think his brand, right? And I think the timing of his election, he probably realized that he could get some traction by not rushing out to condemn white nationalism if they were going to. Well, when Aaron was here, he mentioned um, the Charlottesville ordeal, and um, Trump was his own worst enemy in that because never give to your enemy, you know, political enemy, although sometimes they're just enemy enemies now, um, never give them the rope to hang yourself with, right? So if there's already this stereotype starting to exist that he appealed to white nationalists and, you know, racists and so on and so forth, don't say the people on both sides were good because they're not going to do what Aaron said. Read the entire article. All they're going to focus on is he just said neo-Nazis. Nazis were were good. Right. And they're going to not move away from that because you did say it. Yeah. You gave them the ammunition to beat you to death with it. Right. And and the, the point that I always make with Trump and some of the nationalism, racist stuff, and I will say it's the same thing Donald Trump did with QAnon. You know, he just never really was in a rush to get away from it. You know, if somebody said, hey, well, how do you feel about QAnon? Hey, some of these folks like me. If they like me, there must be something good there. And, right. and, and I don't think, you know, he didn't say anything that specific well, about white close. nationalism. I mean. Yes, but he didn't work very hard to distance himself. That's and, a- and when he did, when he was just backed into a corner and had to come out and say something, I mean, it was two weeks later before he would disavow David Duke and and you and I talked off air. Our job here is not to bring in a guest and a, and a great person like Aaron and, and, and beat him up over anything because we want to bring more people in, perhaps Aaron for a second time. Um, but we could have probably pushed a little bit harder. And I think that's a fair point, whether it's January 6th or those associations with folks that if Trump himself isn't you know, a white nationalist, which I don't think he is, those people certainly felt comfortable with him. And he didn't do a whole lot to stem that tide and so that's the question so why is that now what well let me well this is my thought on it and and what trump did he made good people like our last week's guest right feel comfortable because he would after a couple weeks come out and say of course i disavow white nationalists of course i disavow whatever but david duke david duke and in those two weeks in between when he should have said it i think there's a lot of dog whistling and there's a lot of folks that are going to that are in that camp that are getting behind him. So again, good smart folks who happen to be Republican are able to say, "Of course he came out, you dumb liberals and disavowed David Duke." Nice. But it was 2 weeks later. So I mean, I think there's something to be said about timing. And I think that was a masterstroke by Trump. He now, didn't, here he we didn't, find ourselves uh, subject to our friends who some of which voiced on Facebook that were not as 
fair as we may um, advertise ourselves being. So, well, we try to be fair, but we're honest about how we vote, and you know. Yeah, the thing that's really bad now, and I think an honest conservative would have to say, this kind of frontal assault on the Constitution, where you just don't want to accept the results of a legitimate and provable election. I mean, you right. got to stop doing that, Mr. Trump. You just can't do that because I don't care how far apart you are politically. What you have to both believe in is that when you go to the poll, your yes. vote counts. Right. And he's basically making it his charge to say, no, it's all... If it's, it's all not illegal. the way that I want it. It's fake. And there's really nothing more dangerous because that is a frontal assault to the Constitution and to America's institutions. Right. And, and and that's really the danger. It's absolutely the danger. And I think we all sort of thought and hoped it was a one-off and that after Trump's election that it was going to go away. But my fear is that this is uh, going to continue. And I think we saw that in the California governor's runoff race, the Republican Front runner said it was just fake news, and this is not. But then you did ask Aaron that, and not to put Aaron on the spot, he's not here to defend himself, but he did have an answer, and I, th- I think it was kind of along the lines of, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't actually remember. Do you remember what his answer was? I don't think that was one he had a great answer for. Um, but <laughs> Aaron, I apologize if you had a great answer for that, but I don't remember what it was. Well, because there may not be a great answer. Maybe it is just a turn of the subject. I mean, because again, it's it's kind of it's kind of like our healthcare mess in America, and you know, Tristan and I have wonderful friends who are conservative and neighbors and and uh, and, and uh, family members, but I've yet to find the first conservative who can defend a, a system of healthcare whereby you can have done everything right, gone up, gotten up, gone to work every day paid your taxes, raised your family, went to your church, did everything that you were supposed to, and at 55, contract a hideous disease, cancer or other, that bankrupts you. Nobody can defend that. That doesn't happen in Germany, in England, in France, in Canada, and Japan, but it happens here, and it shouldn't. Trump's latest mission to say all elections, or certainly presidential elections, are illegitimate, is really a bad thing, and I don't know how you can defend that. I'm with you, Ray, and I just think the more we, you know, I've said this on record and off record in many conversations with people I agree and disagree with. There's nobody that's ever ran for president in American history, Trump included, that I would not want to be president if the majority of people wanted him to be president. Right. Whether I liked it or not. Exactly Look, right. I don't care about my agenda. I don't care about the Democratic political agenda one fiftieth as much as I care about our country. And even though, you know, we can argue with our friends that we disagree with, look, we have to care about the country. Look, if more people feel a different way than me, that's why we vote. I'm happy to say, well, you know, my opinion wasn't the majority opinion this time of voters. So look, I'll sit back for four years and watch a president that I don't love. I mean, that's what America is all about. I mean, you suffer through the bad times to get to the good times. We all have baseball teams or sports teams that we watch. Look, they don't win the World Series every year. That's why, you know, but you still put your hat on and you root for your guys. You know, that's uh, that's what America is about. So I, I do hope that people get back to that. I, you know, I. And what? That, how about this scenario? What if he does decide to run in 2024, which I, you know, he'll it's his nomination, I suppose, to lose. I don't think he'll do it because I don't think he can win, frankly, and he may be smart enough to make that calculation. But let's say he runs in 2024 and gets beaten 
and then starts this illegitimate election thing again. Well, let me throw out even something a little worse than that. What if he wins in 2024, but he picks a vice president who is not going to have the conviction of Mike Pence? And then let's say he runs again, because why not? He's Donald Trump. I mean, he's, he's done crazier things. And then he does lose. Hey, that's a good constitutional question. I don't know. And, I don't know if you can run. You you, you can't. Yeah, okay. two consecutive terms. But I think you're still limited to eight years. Limited or is it? To, or is it two consecutive terms? Maybe he could get eight more years. No, I don't think it's two consecutive. I think it's it's eight years total, total. right now. But you know that changed for Roosevelt. Roosevelt yeah. So uh, you know, I don't know. My concern is that basically the systems are getting in place. For that if this happens again, I mean, here's one of the things I always heard about Obama. You know, from the last year of Obama's presidency, I constantly heard, you wait and see, Tristan. Obama's not going to leave. You wait. Oh, absolutely. And that was something that Republicans parroted and parroted and parroted. Man, they sure did. Man, that was, you know, I was like, what in the history of our country would make you think that a president would not leave? Right. And then Trump won, and he wouldn't leave. Like, he just literally did what they were saying that Obama was going to do. And truly fought like hell to uh, to, to stay. And, and, and some people, and then now if you uh, put any merit in this Woodward, uh, Bob, Robert Costas uh, book, uh, Rage, is that what it is? No, Rage is the one Costa. I read. Peril, I think. Yeah. Um, that this supposed coup, if you will, for lack of a better word, and that's a really ugly word, was closer to happening than not. Like Pence, yeah, very close. Pence was looking at ways to decertify the election. And now I'm sure people on the right would say, oh, come on, Woodward and Costa. But these are reputable. Bob Woodward is a lot of things. He brought down Nixon. But he is a very reputable reporter who does his homework and sources and double sources and triple sources, everything. I think you can kind of trust his word. Um, it was closer to happening. And here we are 10 months later, almost a year now. And Mr. Trump is still out there. He went to, I don't know if he was in Arizona, but after that Arizona audit, which was kind right. of bogus because the people doing it were and highly they, partisan. And they were highly partisan, and even they couldn't figure out a way to make Trump the winner. No, in fact, <laughs> in fact, I think Biden got a few more votes in Maricopa almost, County. Yeah, 350 yeah. more votes. So I guess somebody could say, well, that's why they did it. See, there were 350 votes. But at any rate, they had to certify the election. And the next day, he gave a speech wherever he was saying, hey, did you see what happened? in Arizona, you, you know, we won. Well, if you're just going to stand there and say that, you know what I think, Tristan? Here's what I think. All right, so we get, we've apparently been beaten up now on this podcast by, by some people who say that we lean too far left. We're, we're doing our best. We do lean left. We've, we've admitted that a, a hundred times that we lean left, but we're trying to be fair. We're certainly fair to guests who don't lean left when, when we bring them in who are conservative or what have you. But you know what? The most ardent lefties, AOC, it really doesn't make a difference what she thinks about Trump because we know what what she thinks. It's up to Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee and Mitch McConnell and the power brokers in the Republican Party to stand up and say, Mr. Trump, you have to stop this for all the reasons we just said, because now you're attacking America's institutions, her constitution, and you need to stop. But as of now... Uh, September of 2021, they've not done that. Because they say Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee, uh, Graham, South Carolina, and Lee, the very conservative Utah senator, uh, looked at you know Giuliani's info and, and wanted to parse through it and see if there was anything. And they determined, no, there wasn't. So you've got to stand down. But they don't say it publicly. Why? Oh, 
well, the only reason anything ever happens in politics, it's just not politically beneficial to Lindsey Graham to do that. You know, on January 6th, Lindsey stood up and was saying, you know, Trump lost. It's time to move on. And a week later, well, I don't know. You know, it's if it's politically expedient for a lot of these people to do something, it seems as though it does not matter how bad it is for the country. They don't want to lose their status, their power, their money. But I, so it still gets back to that question that I've been asking since the, I guess he came down the escalator or, or, or maybe shortly after when we realized how broad Trump's appeal was. Why is his appeal that broad? And I do think the left is missing something. Now, I know people who will tell you, well, you know, it's a throw, his appeal is a throwback to that golden age that they perceive. Well, first of all, that golden age didn't exist because I think the golden age they're talking about is when white Christian men pretty much ran everything and blacks were still in the back of the bus and right. women were home barefoot and pregnant and homosexuals were in the closet. No, seriously. No, I, I know. It's I, funny I, to I hear, that but yes. question has to be, you know, put and other people might say no 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 we're just talking about an economic golden age you know we were we were starting to give money out around the world and we weren't concentrating enough about people at home and that was trump's appeal but what is that appeal that has so many republicans scared to death of donald trump it's just there's a lot of numbers like it's a numbers game right like there's a lot of people came out and voted for Donald Trump in 2016 that, you know, had never had interest interest really in voting. I mean, Republicans had pretty much been a like a white collar, you know, you're either, a, you know, white collar or Christian based. And I think Donald Trump sort of had a mass appeal to folks that maybe just found him charismatic, uh, like our guest last week that just uh, said he's different. He's an outsider. I think that's an appeal different that and an everybody outsider. can relate to. Right. Different and an outsider. And Aaron also said... Um, Talking about America first, not just MAGA, make America great again, but America first. We forget about that appeal and how strong it can be, especially to your point for people who don't. This may sound pretentious, but for people who don't follow this stuff the way you and I do, um, who are just have a passing interest in politics, that notion of make America first really has a lot of meat on that bone. For sure. And and I think people that don't spend their Sundays watching political programming like, you know, a few of us do, like you and I probably do. Man, you're just getting the slogans and you're just getting right. the, the, the snapshots on the news. And I think, you know, Donald Trump was a master with Twitter, with uh, how he used his social media. You know, there was a lot of appeal to Donald if you if some of the negative things he was doing didn't bother you or they didn't enter your bubble. Like there's a pretty uh, broad appeal there. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, my friend, that was a free-flowing show that somehow got off on Mr. <laughs> oh, Trump. Always back to Trump, right? He does suck out all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. So Now, uh, don't edit that. To, he does suck. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, so we did get one, uh, one Facebook uh, question, so I'd like to shout out to William, who reached out. He said, when did uh, politics become so divided? My answer to that, Ray, and you can uh, – you can tell me your thoughts. I don't know that it's more divided than it's ever been. It does feel that way. Um, but I, you know, I do feel like social media has exacerbated, 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 uh, politics to the point that if we're interested in it, we're in a bubble and we're seeing a lot of it, man, exacerbated, not exacerbated. That rhymed too much with, it doesn't rhyme with that other word. What, what's the other word? <laughs> so, yeah, William, man, it's, it is a little uglier, especially if you're behind a, a screen. Hopefully, uh, in, in reality, it's maybe a little bit uh, less than it seems. 
That's that whole media, uh, back to the media. And no, it's divided right now. There is no sure. doubt that it is divided. Not, uh, you know, as divided as it's ever been. I don't know. Again, we fought a civil war, um, and we don't want to go down that road again. But yes, things are divided, as we were talking about before, be they coastal, be they, you know, the middle part of America not trusting the coasts, the coast thinking there's a bunch of rubes down there, vice versa, the media uh, building that up. It, it's however we. However we arrive at it right now, it's pretty darn divided. And I think that, you know, the last four years hasn't helped that divide. And the attacks on Biden have just, you know, not helped that divide. He probably hasn't helped himself. Things haven't gone real great. It's been a little clumsy, you know, from the get-go. Um, so it's, it's, it's divided, man. People don't trust each other. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll listen to extreme common sense and they'll find a little middle ground and, and we'll get back to being Americans first. Yeah, and I guess we have to continue to help ourselves, you and I, by bringing in uh, people that do show that other side off a little bit more. And again, Triz and I aren't here to fight with people or beat them up, um, you know, because then we're back doing that same thing that everybody else is doing and we're trying not to do that. But to find that middle ground, man, that's really the yeoman's job. That's really hard work. Yeah. And to your point before, political expediency oftentimes negates that from happening because you just stand on your side. Because you know there are Republicans who go home at night and talk to their spouse about – Trump and how, you know, this is not the best thing, but they just can't say it public. Oh, I mean, specifically oh, now what right. Trump's doing, not the yeah. four years he was in office. Sure. There were some policies that were good. But this attack now on on our institution, specifically the, the the national election, is just a it's just not there's really to me no defense of it. No, I, I, you know, to, to kill democracy over or, you know, even to potentially partially kill democracy over. Any politician on earth in the history of our country seems uh, pretty small, small-minded. And when they show us polls, like a vast majority, I don't know if it's a vast majority, but perhaps a small majority or at 50-50, uh, Republicans believe that, yeah, the election was fraudulent. Unbelievable. The my pillow guy. Still waiting for some evidence, but uh, yeah, and I'm open to that. Like, if you've got evidence, I'm open to it, but well, not anymore. At this point, it would have been out. But I was very open to it in January. Yeah. I was open to it in December. I was open to it in late November. Look, I'm, I'm not going to say our institutions are perfect, but we can't just shut it all down because we didn't win. Yeah. We can't. We, we've got to suck it up for four years, get stronger, get more organized, then go win again. You know, But let's not, let's not want what we want in the moment so much that we forget this is America, and sometimes that means taking turns. Well... A free flow of ideas. Yeah. We had some fun. How about that? Ray, thanks, man. Happy, uh, again, uh, birthday last week. And, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So, yeah. So, Stove Leg Media, thank you. Uh, Front Porch Studios. Troy, as always, we indeed, appreciate indeed. it. Indeed, uh, indeed. Check us out on Facebook, if you would. Trisden and Ray, Extreme Common Sense. That's T-R-I-Z-D-O-N. Um, yeah, it's a little weird, but if you type that in, it'll probably pop right up and tell us what we missed. We look forward to any feedback. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week.